0: We're here to provide Black history with the theory that we can engage enough people around our content to build relationships and drive them to take action. Hello, this is The Great Battlefield
1: Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. Julian Walker is the CEO of Push Black, a very successful nonprofit media company with an audience in the millions that focuses on Black history and activism. Push Black builds deep digital relationships to transform civic engagement and build political power in the black community. Julian, who brings longtime friendships with the other founders of Push Black and a deep background in storytelling and film to his role, has been leading the creative side of Push Black since its early days and has recently stepped up to the CEO role. We had a great conversation about his path and his ambitious vision for the organization. So after a quick word, With our sponsor, my interview with Julian Walker at Push Black. This episode
0: is brought to you by Graphicacy. Graphicacy is an analytic design firm that can help you advance the mission of your organization using your own real data and information. They are 21st century visual communicators who create interactive graphics, motion graphics, and data visualizations. You can find Graphicacy at Graphicacy.com. That is G R A P H I C A C Y.com. With Graphicacy's help, you can visualize a better world.
1: Julian, would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography?
0: Sure. I'm Julian Walker, um, a CEO of Push Black. Push Black is the nation's largest nonprofit black media group. Uh, We exist to really shift the mindset of our community in an empowering way by sending out content on a regular basis across a plethora of media platforms with the hope that over time we can influence our community to take actions in the best interest of our community. Um, One of our major programs is our voter engagement program, and our three focus areas are civic engagement, criminal justice reform, and economic prosperity for black Americans. And we use media to achieve that. And as far as my background, I'm from Arkansas, born and raised in Little Rock, Arkansas you know from an early age i was a very creative person always looking for ways to um i guess share my thoughts with people in creative ways whether it's writing or drawing and creating things to sell to people things like that i went to college at davidson college in north carolina and studied english there english literature uh, with the film studies concentration uh, with the goal of being a filmmaker, which isn't really a goal people usually have going to a a liberal arts college like that. A lot of my friends were doing things that probably would have, well, definitely would have made more money out of the gate, but I was interested in storytelling. There was this one summer while I was there, um, a bunch of my friends were Getting internships at uh, you know banks and corporate America and things like that. I um, mean, I was applying and interviewing for those things as well. Um, but at the end of the day, I realized, you know, I'm in this uh, predominantly white institution, um, very disconnected from the community back home, and at the same time, I want to tell stories that influence and impact my community. So I didn't see it really serving that purpose to continue on the same path. Uh, so I took a summer to go back home and apply for temp positions through a temp agency uh, with the goal of making sure that I am more connected to the people in the community who need, uh, I think, what I had to offer the most. So doing blue collar label, I told them, don't give me any office jobs, give me things I can do with my hands um, just so I can I can make sure that I'm uh, connected to the, the people and the stories that mattered most to me. So a very interesting summer. Um, That's a whole nother story, but I, I did that and I did other things.
1: Let's stop on that for a second, just because I myself really enjoy and get a lot out of what you're calling blue collar labor, but like anything from carpentry to welding. When I'm working with my hands and associating with people who are doing that, I feel kind of a lot more at ease often than I do with with the uh, people who are working in the white collar world i'm not sure exactly what that is but it's true did you find that when you were there
0: absolutely absolutely and that's one of the things i i loved about it too you know there was no uh pretentiousness there people were just there providing for their families and themselves and i um, just trying to to make something happen so the dynamic between me and the uh, my coworkers was incredibly powerful. And just the act of doing something with your hands is a different type of mental exercise than I was getting at school. You know, I was actually trying to get on a farm at some point and work uh, on a farm. I'd never done that before, but I was interested in doing that. That ended up falling through. But the other experiences I had were were very transformative um, in terms of understanding you know, more so, what that type of labor and lifestyle was about, and being able to speak to it to an extent from a um firsthand experience and the, you know the struggles and the trials that people around me were going through. But yeah, it was very sometimes peaceful at times for sure. Um, you know, you can focus on doing one thing well in a different type of way.
1: there is something different between like filmmaking and wielding a chainsaw or a hammer or something like that. You returned to college and you kinda continued down that more intellectual route. What was it like? Did you like Davidson?
0: Yeah, I liked Davidson a lot. Great institution. I had a great experience there. Met my wife there, some lifelong friends there. The uh my buddies that um you know started push black. We all met at Davidson. Uh Tarek and Daryl and myself went to Davidson. And so formed some lifelong connections there and was able to think about things in a different way. I have no experience with what other colleges are like, but my experience at Davidson and the, the way that we were taught to think critically about um, things was very impactful for me because that's not necessarily something I got um, significantly in the high school that I came from overall. So that was excellent for me.
1: Tell me about those two co-founders sure. that, that you met there.
0: Yeah, and so met one of them there. Uh, the other one actually was also from my hometown. So Daryl, who is the the founder and original CEO of Push Black, we grew up together in Arkansas. I went to high school together, uh, then went to Davidson together. Um, and Tarek was Daryl's roommate, and uh, we all became close over the years. And so Daryl and I, you know, we had tried multiple times to start different business ventures. Uh, we were. Printing t-shirts for uh campus organizations. He was running for, you know, student office and I did the video. In high school, actually, we ran against each other for class president. He won and I lost, but I had the best poster. So I always thought in my mind, if we do something, I'll be the creative side. You'll be the, <laughs> the more uh <laughs> you know, business side. But um, that's that. And then uh Tarek was always just a strong thinker. We had a couple classes together. He's outperformed me in a ridiculous way, very dedicated, very hardworking. And, uh, still today on this team, he's, you know, who I I go to for that type of dedication to the work and that type of thought around, um, what needs to happen in a very methodological way.
1: How long was it out of college before you started Push Black?
0: Yeah. So we were discussing Push Black, um, Couple months before our five-year anniversary, so we actually went back to Davidson for the anniversary, and we had already been discussing Push Black for a couple months. And I remember, you know, meeting up there, and Daryl had already had some wills in motion, um, and we started really going going in on it in 2015. So I'd say about five years between our graduation and um, Daryl and Tarek starting the organization.
1: How would you spent those five years?
0: Yeah, so I went to grad school at Columbia College, Chicago, and uh, studied filmmaking there as well. So I got an MFA um, in film writing and directing. And so still thought I was just on a path to become a filmmaker and I worked with the Chicago Urban League doing videos for their small business uh, program. Also worked with a couple other organizations, worked with the uh, the group that did videos for the Chicago Cubs and the Chicago Blackhawks. So I went to a bunch of hockey games for the first time in my life, which was a very interesting experience, but a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, I was doing film stuff and doing creative stuff. Um, then I came down to Atlanta, uh, me and my fiance now wife, uh, because the film industry was growing here, still is growing here, and I wanted to be a part of that. Um, so I was doing freelance work while uh, Daryl was working on this similar type of work with other organizations as far as civic engagement goes. And I think Tarek was uh, canvassing, organizing something like that with a couple of organizations. Um, yeah. And so I'd say around early 2015, uh, they called me about this and it started out just as a contractor role. Um, I was brought in to do the creative side of things to a large extent Um, they already knew that they wanted to do uh, something with media and civic engagement and they were approaching this from the lean startup sort of approach where you know you don't just go out and build something you do the customer discovery you build you measure you learn then you iterate and um, continue going back to the to give the customers uh what they need so um as I started learning more about that, I was contributing in a creative way. We just started out with the email list and a small Facebook group of several dozen friends um, and family. And uh, through, you know, many iterations, the organization obviously transformed over the years.
1: I think that that sort of lean startup template or methodology is super helpful way to start an enterprise. I did that with a company I started without knowing the theory, but more by accident and uh, good fortune than anything else, and necessity perhaps. What were you learning in those early days? What were you trying that didn't work? What were you trying that did work?
0: Tarek holds the keys to a lot of the experiments, but I'll give you an overview uh, as best as I can. So, In the early days, we first wanted to do something that was for Black millennials, um, and we were Trying that, but not necessarily getting the audience that we needed, partly because of where we were focusing. I think this was around the time people were really phasing out of using uh, Facebook, for example, and that's um, where we had started. We were using email lists, um, and you know, once again, we got the attraction of people who were just invested in us as people. But we we had to figure out other ways to make it work. But as far as big learnings, one of the key findings through our initial customer discovery was that. Um, our audience wanted Black history in ways that they weren't getting elsewhere. We didn't expect that, actually. It's actually one of those things where, you know, I talked to a lot of folks over over the years who, unfortunately, feel like we know enough, people in my community even feel like we know enough about Black history or we're Black, so we should know these things. And, you know, people just don't assume that that's um, something that Needs to be reinforced, but as we, when we listed it as one of those, you know, options for, you know, we're going to start the service. What would you like to receive? That rose to the the top of the list. So there was something there, and we started trying to identify ways to go about it. Um, so once we figured out that we had, okay, this is the main piece of media that we're going to try to focus on. Now it's about. How do we figure out the best way to do it and so that's when the experiments came around distribution right was it going to be original content or was it going to be we just take links from other things that exist on the internet and send it to people in a newsletter and link out to that type of stuff um, was it going to be a website was it going to be text like we, we did all those things and used all of the different changes that facebook made over the years um to just try to see how we could best deliver it to people. Um, But the messaging stayed the same. We're here to provide black history with the theory that we can engage enough people around our content to build relationships and drive them to take action. Um, And so that's where we've started from the beginning. Once we had the major learning, that's where we are now. Um, And these different iterations are just different versions of the same sort of core uh, concept of using media uh in that way
1: something like that when it takes off as it has for you guys since i've read that you i don't know serve over nine million people across platforms there's something very addictive and very exciting about engaging with the world in a way that it's interested in right tell me about that experience for you
0: well, for me personally i Love learning about history. So I was excited to realize that that's what people wanted. And it's been exciting for me to try to develop ways to best communicate that. So a little bit of backstory too. So I was a contractor, then was the creative director when I finally came on full time. So I was responsible for shaping the direction for the content and running experiments around content. Um, Tarek ran experiments around, uh, you know, the the different ways of distributing that content and make sure it's effective. You know, I came in with, with ideas on how to communicate it um, because I, I like to consume information from a variety of sources. So, you know, the information that I may be getting may seem completely, you know, off the wall. Some people ask me, like, why do you even read that newspaper. I'm like, I like to see how different people communicate with different types of audiences. And I think that we can use it to our benefit once we get it right. What's exciting to me is being able to test different approaches to content and see how people respond to it, right? Whether it's tone, whether it is um, even a particular type of story. So we started just testing literally everything about the stories, you know, how many Uh, words. Do we want to start it this way or that way? Do we want to end it this way or that way? Um, And over years, just developed a way of doing it that is completely unique. We have like a 45-page content guide that we've written over the years um, that talks about how we want to approach content for this particular community. And that's all based on um, starting with assumptions and turning that into a hypothesis, running experiments around it and letting the audience tell us through their engagement what works the best uh, for them.
1: Like if you had to summarize that learning, that sounds difficult if you've got 45 pages written about it, but if you had to summarize, what is it that works? What is it that your community wants to engage with?
0: Yeah. So our community has a keen awareness of the fact that mainstream media is not providing them a certain type of information in a way that actually relates to their lived experiences. Oftentimes, for example, Black history is presented in a certain type of way with a certain type of narrative around it. We're taught that, you know, there was slavery, then there was, uh, the civil rights movement, then there was Obama, and that's it. And there's this trajectory of progress for Black Americans. But our audience doesn't necessarily, what we found, they don't necessarily believe what's being sold. They want to know the deeper stories behind these, and they want to be able to learn from this. So it's we approach it in a way that's different, because we're not just sharing facts, like you may get in a history book, or you may get in a, you know, black history program or uh, speech or something like that. We approach it in a storytelling format. So this goes back to my experience as a filmmaker. We um, have a certain structure. My theory was that, okay, our audience uh, over indexes for consumption of things like TV and movies. Um, and I'm aware of the structure that goes into telling these stories. Let's try to make it so we can structure our stories in the same way. Um, And we focus on characters, we focus on, you know, having a narrative trajectory, and we focus on the characters, um, these actual historical people, but for these purposes, we'll call it characters for the story. But we focus on what they've gone through in their lives and what they've overcome. So we frame it like that, and make sure we highlight the different tools that they use to either overcome or the tools that were used against them to oppress them with the end goal of leaving them with something that they can use in the real world. We get them emotionally engaged. In general, we're not emotionally engaged in a way that prompts us to take productive action for the most part when it comes to black history. And so what we found is people want that and respond well to that. And that's how we um, have been successful producing them.
1: How do you source those stories and how has that changed over time? I imagine it would have when you start as a scrappy band and turn into a more substantial organization.
0: Yeah. So when we first started sourcing the stories, it was literally just taking what other people wrote, sending people email lists, just to test if people like the stories. But now we source them from a variety of places. So we have a library uh, under our Kindle account on Amazon where our staff can go and just dig into uh, to books uh, that are relevant to what we're doing. It comes from everywhere. It could be what somebody else wrote that we want to put a different spin on. It could be us just looking at uh, a meme that comes across someone's feed about a Black history event and then digging more into that. It could be a conversation people are having on Twitter and us digging into that. We transform that by adding our Certain perspective and our narrative approach to it to make it come out as something that they're not going to necessarily see in other places.
1: Do you have relationships with like historians of the Black experience
0: or is that like indirect through their books? It's more indirect through the books and the work they put out. Uh, we're developing more relationships now um, with our podcast, Black History Year. So I've been meeting some incredible scholars there whose work we've also used in our other um, work on our social media and social messaging platforms. But yeah, uh, we currently don't have any relationship to the point where we say, okay, hey, let's get this constant influx of content from them. But uh, that's a great idea. I might, I might have to consider that.
1: <laughs> well, there are some people who've really put their lives into studying things who might have, you know, infinite supply of good stories for you. Absolutely. What were the big points in the development of Push Black so far? Like, If you had to think of a, several things that were turning points towards the success that you've had, what what comes to mind?
0: There was uh, 2017, a 2017 shooting of Jordan Edwards, I believe, a young man killed by a police officer uh, in Texas, I believe. And um, we did a petition around that um, through our platform. And we realized a couple of things then, obviously, you know people were as they still are outraged about this type of situation, um, but wanted to do something about it. and for many people, signing a petition is maybe the the most they have time to do or the most they know what to do with so that was a petition that we did that sort of launched our user base to a significant degree. I think we added maybe a couple hundred thousand users from there through the sharing mechanisms that we employed. And from there, exponential growth from there, once you get the sharing functions involved. So we started with that. We were doing um, more petitions. We also took advantage of some of uh, Facebook's opportunities to distribute content. We've been able to take advantage of what different social media platforms allow us to do, to share messagings. And once we identified the power that was there, that really helped us take off. The power was in the sharing, and we realized that if we can get people to to share, um, we could do that. Um, So sharing, the next came growth through Facebook ads. We realized like a certain formula for getting new users engaged, which is through content ads. So for the longest, we were just trying to uh, you know, promote Push Black as an organization. So like the typical, hey, Push Black, and here's a catchphrase, and then come join us, that wasn't working. But once we started sharing our content as ads and getting people in with that storytelling and that striking way of telling stories and using a lot of the approaches that um, a lot of the most successful content publishers did, uh, we were able to catch people And get them in and give them more and more and more content. So um, that was a big learning for us. All of that allowed us to build our audience to the point where we could make um, a significant, like noticeable impact in elections. So in 2018, we ran the largest digital voter turnout program. Um, We were involved in voter engagement work for the Virginia. We were involved in in that the midterm elections in general um, in 2018 we were involved in that and we realized that um, we had something powerful we had um, some randomized control trials done by the analyst institute who validated our program as being both efficient and effective um, in achieving our goals and um, from there continuing to scale the audience and taking us to 2020 where once again, we ran the largest digital voter turnout program online through the, uh, the method we've developed to engage people through relationships and then have them share and ask others to share and ask others to vote. Um, and so this this idea that people have been talking about now, as far as um, you know, relational organizing, we've been able to, to find a way to do that through social in a way that uh, is unmatched. So I think those are some of the milestones, just the ways we developed one, what people want, then identifying how we can grow our audience to the point where we're scaled enough to make a noticeable impact in electoral politics has been the, the trajectory for us.
1: That kind of efforts in voter engagement and voter turnout, do you end up partnering with other enterprises that have built technology for like registration or other you know, other aspects of the voting process, get out the vote or do you roll your own or how does that work?
0: Yeah, as far as registration, um, we use an interface from another organization that we've partnered with. Um, and I actually forget which one it is. So apologies to them if they're listening, but um, they're, we use that in terms of the the biggest impact we have, which is voter turnout, measurable voter turnout. Um, that's something that we do in-house. That Tarek uh, Tarek Alani leads for us and some other organizations.
1: Now, you guys are a nonprofit, right?
0: That's right. And do you
1: charge anything for subscribing? You know, how are you funded ultimately?
0: Yeah. So let's see. We're funded in a number of ways. Um, we have an incredible community. Our community, I think, are our most important. Supporters, in terms of you know showing us that they appreciate the work and donating their hard earned dollars to help us continue putting that out, so it's not a subscription model in the sense that everyone has to donate or pay, but there are an incredible group of um, small dollar donors who donate to make sure the service continues on. Um, We also um, accept you know institutional dollars, we also accept dollars from high net worth individuals that are aligned and want to see us succeed. Um, so, yeah, those are our three sort of primary sources of funding. Um, and we're working now to identify opportunities to generate revenue in a different way uh, with the ultimate goal of becoming a fully you know, self-sustained organization who can exist outside of any particular election cycle. Because I don't think it's any secret that often there's people um, individuals that are great and well-intentioned and are around for a specific election cycle, such as a you know 2020 elections, but they might get out of the space after that. We uh, feel that in certain ways because we're best known for our voter engagement program. So uh, right now we're working on different models to allow us to continue uh, doing that. How many people work at Push Black nowadays? Uh, we have 15 people. Wow, that's a lot. That you do with a small group? Yeah, probably too much. <laughs> we need <laughs> some more people or we need to slow down one of the two.
1: <laughs> um, I had had a conversation some time ago with Liz at Pulso who has sort of you know, an analogous organization in the Latino world. Uh, came after yours. A little bit modeled after yours it sounded like. And she talked about a relationship that she had with a group called Accelerate Change, which I understood that you guys had at the beginning. Also, what was their role in the development of Pushback?
0: Yeah, so Accelerate Change um, is essentially an incubator for uh, organizations such as ours in this uh, media and civic engagement space. So um, Daryl started out working with them, helping run experiments and lead certain projects um, of organizations that are still in their network today. Um, and he identified the need and the desire, actually, he just wanted to do something like that for uh, the black community. So he brought that to Peter who leads Accelerate Change. And that's where the experiment uh, started, right? So we consider Push Black, you know, uh, an experiment, uh, you know, in a broad scope of things. He run many smaller ones, but it started out as an experiment itself. So it started there and we worked under the Accelerate Change umbrella for years up until 2020 uh, when we, so to speak, graduated from the uh, the incubator and became an individual, independent organization. And we still partner with them, um, for example, on the voter turnout program, uh, Tarek. Um, is a project manager for the other groups in that network as well. Um, And uh, yeah, we still partner with them on certain media work that we're experimenting with now. What other groups besides you and Pulso
1: come out of that incubator?
0: There's several, I'm probably missing some, but uh, Revolution English, Parents Together, Progress Pop, Those are the ones that I know were also incubated under AC, but AC also works with um, other organizations as well to achieve similar ends of scaling audiences and having impact.
1: It sounds like you, at some point along the way, switched CEOs maybe more than one time. What occasioned that? Why a change in leadership and how did it end up in your lab?
0: Yeah, so uh, last year... We had a sudden change in leadership. Daryl, the founder and CEO, uh, stepped down uh, from the organization, and uh, at that point, uh, myself and Eskadar Getahun, we were selected as interim co ceo So, you know, for maybe the second half of 2020, that's the role that we were in. And you know, during that whole time. It was it was a very hectic year i'm not sure if you call it 2020 but it, it was a lot going on in 2020 so <laughs> I, uh, 2020 was not your normal year <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> d- d- i think there was there was some kind
0: of pandemic and a
1: yeah and a a very dangerous president to get
0: rid of something like that that's that's what i heard that's what word on the street was so there was a lot going on and our our role as interim co-ceos was to uh to maintain the ship you know we had this big voter turnout push that we were um, leading up to. And that's what we did. And we were able to have incredible uh, results. We we didn't miss a beat in terms of, you know, leadership change affecting any of our results. And we were actually, you know, had higher results than we even anticipated. So we were able to reach essentially every Black person on Facebook with our GOTV messaging and have um, tremendous impact as far as the, the votes that have been calculated as far as the, the votes generated. The leadership transition was very nominal in the effect of our results. Starting in January 2021, I became the uh, official CEO of the organization. And, um, you know, that was because I'd been here since the beginning. Um, I'd been instrumental in shaping the path for the organization um, with content, but also with culture, um, with the the way that we uh, approached certain business dealings. And, you know, like I said, Daryl and I uh, had been developing things together since high school, essentially. So um, I told the joke before about, you know, the senior president's race and him being in one situation, you know, him winning, me not winning. And it ended up working out like that, right? I was the creative director or chief content officer. And he was the, um, the CEO and it worked well, but we always partnered on a lot of things. We always shared ideas and thoughts. So I was always aware of what was going on to a great degree in the organization and was able to, you know, at least be a sounding board. I'm not sure how, you know, much I contributed. He did a a great deal as far as building the organization, but I was always there to listen and give, um, give, thoughts on ways that we should be thinking about things from our perspective and with what we're trying to do. So um, with the historical understanding of the organization and my experience in helping shape it to a a great degree and my experience in media um, with Push Black now entering this sort of second phase of um, our grand plan of becoming a established media organization that seemed like a good mix for uh, the board for for them to choose me as the the CEO to lead the organization to the next uh, next level
1: Have you uh, kind of developed your own theories of leadership and management? What do you think makes a good leader of an organization like this?
0: so yeah, first for me it's vision and ensuring that you know as a leader, you have a clear vision for where you see the world in the future, not just the organization, but how can what we're doing impact the world and how will we get there? Being able to rally people around that and make sure that decisions around that are, are working towards that. So, um, getting people to accept that vision is a, a key part. And for me, I think that, you know, I started doing that before I became a CEO. Um, you know, I was running the content team and I was able to clearly articulate that to my specific team. And I think that's what helped propel us to uh, the success we had there. And I was excited about the opportunity to be able to share that more and more with the broader organization. Um, Next, it would be just putting the right people in the right place, making sure you have the right team members, and knowing enough uh, as a leader to be able to ensure that the, the chess pieces are going in the right direction. So that's super important. And then a commitment to the community for sure. That's definitely one of the key ones here uh, because, you know, unfortunately there's been many nonprofit black organizations over time and many just community organizations that have not achieved what I think they had the potential to achieve for various reasons. And oftentimes that comes from getting distracted by other opportunities that may come your way or having the influence of folks who claim to be working in the community's best interest, but may not actually be doing that, may not actually be benevolent as they think they are or claim to be. So being in touch with the community is key. And I learned this from my grandfather, who was a uh, civil rights attorney in my hometown. Uh, He was then later a uh, state representative in the state house. And seeing how he was able to move around the community and do work every day that directly impacted the community. He was a brilliant guy, could have been made more money doing something else, but the community is what came first. Um, and I find myself in a similar situation, waking up every day knowing that what I'm doing uh, must positively impact the community and making decisions based on that is my North Star. And then as far as leadership being, being risky, making sure that what you're doing is pushing the status quo because that's what's needed in order to make an impact in the world and just being able to get people to rally behind that, especially when it comes to um, the black community, for example, we're often taught things about ourselves by people from outside of our community that should be challenged. And I'm glad to see it being challenged uh, even more and more now. And I think for our particular organization, it's important to understand that a lot of the beliefs that we have about the world and ourselves come from being, you know, things ingrained in us by the system of white supremacy, um, just from every angle. So being able to understand that we've been impacted by that mentally, and also understand that we're hoping to share a liberated version of the world and Black society in general with our community, we need to be able to promote sort of the breaking of mental barriers, mental change within the staff, uh, myself included, right? To be able to say, okay, here's where we are, but here's what we want to get. How can we foster a culture that uh, we're challenging each other? We're having discussions that challenge each other and challenge what's going on in the outside world, whether it's other publishers, whether it's politics, business, whatever, and say, okay, no, this is what we can say is what we believe is going to be more beneficial for our community. And then being fine with Uncertainty. Uh, I mentioned the lean experimentation approach, which is, you know, by nature, uh, there's uncertainty there and we have to be fine with that, have to be fine with um, existing in that space and being able, trying things and failing things out, failing more often than validating and then being able to pivot once the time comes to, um, to pivot. When you find something that works, being able to have a team that's agile enough to, to move towards that. Uh, in the best interest of the community um and being able to to remind the team while we're here cuz it's easy for people to get stuck in like okay well I'm emotionally committed to this thing I've been working on for months but if it's not working you know sometimes it's difficult for people to let go so For our particular organization, it's it's necessary for us to emphasize that hey, it's okay if something fails. Like you have to, you have to go through that, and uh, that's not a bad thing. It's just a learning, not a failure necessarily, and we can build on that. So, um, yeah, those are some of the key things for me.
1: Is there a tension between the goal that you seem to have had from the very beginning to promote civic engagement and you know things like voting? and the growth aspirations and vision more generally?
0: No, I think that they work hand in hand because we can have more impact the more we grow. That's our key to everything we do. How can we scale this to have the greatest amount of impact for sure?
1: How do you think about the relationship between, it's a nonprofit organization with a particular community and the two political parties? there are rules about how you interact with the parties. Uh, black community is lately much more aligned with the Democratic Party than the Republican Party, but not on everything. Uh, how do you think about that relationship with both of them?
0: Yeah. So Push Black is a nonpartisan organization, but we realize the way that Black people are likely to vote and have voted for the past you know, over what, 60, 50, 60 years now. So we recognize the context, but we don't find ourselves beholden to either major political party at all. Uh, In our content, for example, we're critical of um, everyone who is not doing something that we think is beneficial for our community. And we, you know, shout out initiatives that uh, we think may be beneficial for our community. And so- I think what we do best is giving people enough information to give them context about the world um, in order to make decisions that they think are best for them. And that comes from a variety of ways, right? So we've talked mostly about history here, but we have expanded now. So we have criminal justice reform content. We have a different, um, you know, content vertical that's called PB Finance because our audience told us they wanted something that uh, speaks to their personal finance needs that they're not getting elsewhere. Um, we have a podcast that does a good job of connecting the past to the present. And we're experimenting with a content vertical around uh, Black spirituality as well. So we're trying to connect with people in all these niche areas and give them relevant information, give them context, give them tools uh, in order to make the best decisions uh, in whatever. Party that may be, but as I mentioned, you know we know right now what the numbers are and what political party that uh, most Black people go towards. Um, so yeah,
1: tell me about your podcast.
0: Yeah, so the Black History Year podcast where we launched it last May, um, but the experiment had been in the works for uh, about a year um, up until that. So we realized that you know, as I'm sure you did, there's some interesting things to do in the podcast space. We also realized we had all this content. We write about 800 stories a year, and we realized that there's certain content that rises to the top. We meticulously track our metrics so we know um, how everything is performing. We said, okay, people are demanding um, some of this information in a long, like they, they want more information on the information we're getting. Our stories are usually just about no more than 250 words. And so we said, okay, let's try out podcasting. Let's try out uh, long form video. Um, So we ran some experiments around um, just demand testing. Do people want this? In what way do they want it? We did the same um, sort of customer discovery. And people said, we still want uh, Black History. So um, the podcast could have gone, you know, there's at least a dozen other options. But people chose um, Black History. And we started developing that out for a year, um, released it last uh early last summer or late spring. Um and you know, the way that we've been able to engage our audience and the the mechanisms that we use to share content with our audience immediately launched us to the top of the charts within forty eight hours of the release. I think we hit number six overall on iTunes of, across all categories. That's and awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was great. And we hit number one in the the history category. And It was exciting for us to, one, just know that our audience was engaged enough to be able to follow us from one platform to another platform and that we're giving them something that they valued. Our community was expressing to us through their engagement that they value the work that we're doing. So that was just going to be a pilot run really to see what worked and what didn't. And we got a tremendous response from that and some some interesting media hits and some celebrity partnerships and things like that uh then later that year we did season two uh right now we're in the midst of season three um and we've partnered with uh cadence 13 to do some advertising on that to, to test our ability to as i mentioned before generate revenue that we can use to uh, support the organization uh independently so that's the experiment part but the content part is about really connecting people with scholars Um, activists, um, community organizers that have um, experiences and tools and information that people can use to understand the world that we live in, provide context, and then prompt people to take action based on that. Um, And so it's been an amazing experience, been able to talk to some incredible, incredible guests. And I think the community is really um, supportive of what we're trying to do here. And we're bringing people to the podcast space at a certain point. And probably still, I don't, black people were under indexing for podcast usage. So we're actually bringing new people to the podcast space that never listened to a podcast before. Um, But it's great because black folks Uh, I think, still over-indexed for radio, so it's not too much of a jump for some people. Do you
1: have a favorite guest?
0: Mm, Yeah. I recently interviewed Chairman Fred Hampton Jr., um, who is the son of Chairman Fred Hampton of the Black Panther Party, who was assassinated in Chicago. And it was incredible hearing um, his story, obviously sharing his father's story, but also sharing more about... um, the the party and the work that uh he and his uh his colleagues are doing now uh so that was an incredible one and then there was another one that i love i'd say let's see i'm looking at the list now actually there's there's some good ones in there i think the ones that speak about sort of hidden histories are the best ones for me things you didn't know but should know And, and i really love like ancient african history which gives us a context grander than what we're usually given by the the media here in America so we've had some great guests um, like Dr. Anthony Browder and Renuka Rashidi who have come on to give more of a global context to our story um, and I like that because I'm hundred percent of the belief that you know we've been so disconnected from our past and as I mentioned before if we're taught that our past starts at slavery then everything after that seems like, Um, significant progress. But if we go farther back and realize that we've made tremendous uh, contributions to society, in my mind, that tells me, okay, well, if our community has done this before, then we can do it again. We can build something incredible. Um, We can overcome obstacles. And we can live up to the greatness that our ancestors have lived up to. And I think that there's a lot of folks that that resonates with as we're trying to sort of make sense of this situation we find ourselves in and, and take actions that lead towards us um, building something that is um, just and equitable and has a, a better relationship with the power.
1: How would you place Push Black in the sort of progressive ecosystem, in the news ecosystem where does it fit would you say
0: that's a great question nathaniel i'm not sure where we fit we don't identify as news uh we don't uh, pretend to be journalists Uh, we do share some news stories and we do have folks who have journalism training who do those but we're more storytellers and we're more focused on narrative change and telling our truth we fit in the progressive space, I think that's actually by default to an extent because of what we mentioned before, as far as right now, uh, where uh, our community's support lies in terms of electoral politics. That's where our community is and we just give them the information they need to make the choices they think are our best. But I'd actually say I'm not sure if we solidly fit into either of those. We're actually, pretty adamant about the um, the aspect that we are working for the best interest of black people. Now, coincidentally, um, progressive groups are the groups that uh, tend to be more aligned on the issues that we care about, and so we're interested in partnering with other organizations who share that uh, alignment and can help us achieve goals for our community so i'd say that's sort of the the dynamics there um yeah yeah
1: there are uh some organizations that reached into the black community with information designed to misinform or mislead with that going on did you take any measures to try to get the truth out in any area or did you sort of just stick to like your plan and were unaffected by that going on?
0: We didn't actively do anything around that. There was some interesting stuff going on there for sure. Um, You know, we do what we do best in terms of providing information across a broad scope of issues and our numbers weren't affected in a negative way at all by, um, you know, these these so-called misinformation campaigns. Um, I think there's some interesting stuff going in there too, because you know a lot of the the decks that I that were sent to me that I read, and a lot of the coverage around it, sort of neglected to point out some of the major points in there. So, like if you're talking about these Facebook pages set up for Black people that were not set up by Black people, that seem to be uh, some outside uh, information or memes that are going around. Uh, The reason that the community was attracted to these things is because at a certain level, there's something there that resonates in terms of how we interact with the rest of society. I'll speak for myself, actually, since Push Black didn't do anything actively on this, but I'm seeing that and I'm like, okay, there's something here that's resonating with people for a real reason, regardless of who the messenger is. So we get information all the time that's misinformation. I can call things out for misinformation as far as it relates to our community from, you know, both sides of the American political spectrum, as well as foreign political actors. So I don't think misinformation is anything new, but I do think that um, it's interesting to see how, you know, there are certain parties here our pundits here who seem to get upset that They weren't controlling the misinformation. It was someone else controlling what was called misinformation. For example, there are certain uh, ideas or memes that were going around that were very similar to propaganda from years ago, right? The USSR would drop propaganda specifically to uh, black troops uh, or Germans would drop propaganda to black troops to say, hey, things aren't great for you in America. Uh, You should just defect. Why would you want to go? back there. And so a lot of this mirrored that and a lot of that is true. It's just a matter of okay, it's getting more publicity now because it's done in a way that is not just uh boots on the ground people in war. It's affecting the uh black american citizens in a different way. Um and I think that's, you know, it's it resonates for a reason and I think that Um, The problem isn't necessarily with the misinformation and the messenger as much as it is with the system that um, has created the conditions to where it has to resonate with black Americans.
1: I think that's a really astute point. Is there a question that I didn't ask that you wish I had?
0: Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about what's next for Push Black.
1: What's next for Push Black?
0: So Push Black has the goal of being the largest media organization for black people. Right now, we're the largest nonprofit media organization for black folks, but we're trying to be the largest across any and all sectors. Who's um, bigger? uh, In terms of like um, for-profit entities, there's other organizations that have different reach. I love some of the work but i'm not going to say any names to give them more audience because we're trying to beat them but <laughs> there's no non-profit organization i'm that sure
1: can... a message on my on my <laughs> podcast is going to be transformative
0: yeah well you have you know bigger um so certain radio stations uh certain tv stations so even publishers so like uh the root for example or uh you know uh, what is it uh, interactive one bet things like that that are just speaking to Black audiences, may not even be Black-owned, uh, I think at least two the three of those, actually all three of those are not, but they still speak to Black audiences. So we wanna be able to get big enough to where we are reaching Black uh, audiences uh, wherever they consume media. Um, so right now we've started out on uh, several platforms on uh, social media, social messaging, podcasts, um, but we're doing experiments with local news, we're doing experiments with tv we are developing a show right now um, with the spring hill company which is uh lebron james production company we did a music video with mariah carey around uh sort of the that's sort of um, spoke to the climate of the times after the murders of george floyd and brianna taylor and um, maude arbery last year um, so we're trying to bring our messaging to the masses in a different way um, with this ultimate goal of getting more people into our content ecosystem in order to push them to take action. And so I think that's where, you know, when we're describing push black to people, and we don't have as much time as you and I have today, um, for a lot of folks, uh, it goes over the heads, like, how can media do that? But with my understanding of how media works from my experience and the studies that I did uh, in college and and grad school and outside of that, um, it's clear that media impacts culture. Many people become the person they are today because of Media. Their lives are built around what they see. Media shapes beliefs, media shapes values. What we are going to do is be able to reach our community, provide them with an authentic voice and message that speaks to their concerns, um, and then prompt them to take action for the best interest um, of their community. And often that'll be partnering with other organizations who are on the ground doing work. So Push Blacks, you probably won't see us um, you know, going door to door or lobbying or anything like that, but we'll work with other organizations who are doing these things um, and amplifying their messages. I see us as the megaphone for the movement in that regard to where we'll be able to reach masses of people with these often grassroots messages or messages that are not looked at by mainstream news or politicians and say, okay, let's let's create our own conversations and make it so it's undeniable to those that are in power. They have to pay attention now because we have the masses of people who are talking about this and demanding certain things through our ability to partner with other organizations and share information with masses of people. So that's what's next for Push Black.
1: Whenever you have a position of leadership in an organization that's doing well. I mean, you can see the opportunities just in the things that you've mentioned uh, for Push Black with celebrities and athletes and, and just, I can't imagine the different things that come across your desk these days. How has it changed life for you though? It's really an enviable spot to be in, to be running something like this.
0: Hmm. How's it changing you? I'd say it's making me more and more optimistic for the impact that I hoped for uh, back when I told you I first started trying to do work in media like this. Seeing what we've been able to do so far and being able to, having the opportunity to lead an organization of talented people who show up every day, bringing them their full selves and commitment to the community, having the opportunity to do that makes me more optimistic, more reassured that uh, we can contribute to a circumstance, a cultural condition that leads towards black liberation for my community. So it makes me optimistic. Um, but other than that, that's, that's it. I still have student loan debt. I still got to go, you know, wipe my two-year-olds, but all that type of stuff.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes me more optimistic to talk to people like you that are out there having this kind of impact. And I really appreciate the time you've taken with me today. Uh, anything else you want to say?
0: No, I appreciate you, Nathaniel. Thank you for having me on. And yeah, I hope that um, at least, you know, two or three minutes of this is is interesting or useful to somebody. So I thank you for having me on.
1: I trust that a lot more than two or three minutes will be. So thanks. That was Julian Walker. He is at pushblack.org. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts
0: are found.